right. Is this on, uh, Connor? Well, you guys can hear me. Maybe nobody else can. So we have a little challenge this morning. Uh, there's probably about 10 of the college students uh, that are out of town at the MAC retreat over in Lake Geneva, and then a couple other families that are gone. So the medium age of this crowd <laughs> has gone way up. Uh, but that should not in any way indicate that our enthusiasm and our participation in the service goes down. Amen. So uh, you, you guys got to help me make sure you're still alive as I go through this lesson and uh, everything will go well. Amen? Is that all right, Jeff? All right, good. Good to see Pam's dad here again, and uh, it's always a joy to see you. I met, I met, uh, I think I met you in Chicago years and years ago, so it's great. I'm having a wonderful time here with you all. Good. Uman and Pam are behaving? Yeah? That's why you came, right? To check on them? All right. So uh, we're going to continue on in Ephesians. Uh, this week is going to be uh, part of chapter 4, and then next week I'll finish it up. Uh, 1 through 16 today, and then 17 through 30 uh, next Sunday. But in Ephesians, so far, we have been uh, talking about all these things that God has given us in Christ, that we're blessed and we're, we have this hope and the promises and all these things that God has just bestowed on us. Last week, Ben talked a little bit about the power that God has given us and I thought did a great job defining not only what that power is, but what we're to do with the power that we receive from God. And now in chapter 4, in the very first line of chapter 4, it says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is really the first time in the book of Ephesians that Paul now is expecting people to do some things now that they have a complete understanding or a fuller understanding of all the things that God has blessed them with by being in Christ. And so now he is talking about in chapters 4 through 6 what we become in Christ and he's doing this in a little more assertive way. It's one thing to say a whole bunch of nice things to people and encourage them with all the blessings that they have, but now Paul changes his tone just a little bit I still think by means of encouragement, uh, where he now is expecting us to do something now that we know what we have in Christ. And so in, verse, in chapters uh, 1 through 6, or 4 through 6, these are some of the words that he uses. I urge you, I insist, you must, do not, be kind, forgive, and then you can read the rest of them on there. This is a, a little bit on the assertive side where he's now pushing the disciples to think about how they live. Remember how it started in verse 1, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And now what he's really saying is you need some help along the way, and I'm going to tell you how to do this. I'm going to tell you how to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. 
This is where you and I as Americans, especially Americans in this day and age, we bristle at these ideas. Could you imagine if one of us said to you, hey, I urge you, Josh, I insist, Josh, I expect, Josh, uh, obey, Josh, uh, this starts to bristle uh, on the back of our necks. And because we tend to be people that resist authority, we don't like authority, we like our freedom, but at the same time, we know that we're not going places in this world spiritually without some authority being applied to our lives. Anyone in this room can walk away from this at any given time that they want. You came into it freely, and everybody has the opportunity to leave freely. So, you know what, when we, when we decided that Jesus was Lord, we placed ourselves under His authority with God and the Holy Spirit. We chose to place ourselves under that authority. Just like if you have an umbrella and it's raining, fortunately it's not today, and uh, you decide to go under that umbrella, then you're protected and covered, but you have to stay in, under the umbrella. Make sense? And then if you choose to go out of that, then you face the consequences of whatever that may bring. And so as we made that good confession, Jesus is Lord, and put ourselves in a position to have our sins forgiven by God, we went into the water and came up out of the water, we were at that moment not only saved, but under the authority of Jesus. We're going to find out a little bit later in Ephesians 4 that God has also established some authority in the church. Someone's got to call the shots. Someone's got to have uh, some direction for the church. Somebody has to address certain things that come up in the church. It's not done in a vacuum. There's not one sole leader, but there's a group of people that have authority in the Grand Rapids Church. Uh, Mark Kang is kind of the brother in Detroit that oversees the Michigan churches. We were asked to come and be a part of that. But in a weird sort of way, Mark's kind of like my boss now, which is really kind of weird. Uh, I hired Mark and Ruth, or Lori and I hired Mark and Ruth in Milwaukee uh, 16 years ago to be our campus ministers. And uh, they were doing okay. They needed a little uh, refining. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, we came, became really good friends over there. Uh, Mark eventually led the Milwaukee church for a period of time. We were in Detroit. And then when we went back to Milwaukee, we wanted to see if Mark and Ruth would be willing to go to Detroit because we had established that kind of relationship. So my whole interaction with Mark has been, I'm his boss, so to speak. And now when we come here, I, I have no problem with being under Mark's authority. And uh, it's a partnership. It's a relationship. Uh, I get to tell him a couple things to do every now and then. But, uh, you know, it's, it's this authority that we need in our lives that's highlighted here in the final three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Let's go back and look at uh, verses 1 through 6. He says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One of the things that we've been talking about at midweeks is unity. Ben has talked about politics, but really, this is all about unity, these conversations on Wednesday night. There is a character that you and I need to develop if we're going to have unified relationships and even be unified with doctrinal truths and things like that. Uh, Some of those are characterized by those four words, humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with other people that perhaps think differently, see things differently, act differently. This is all part of our character. I, I would challenge you to think, is it even possible to be unified with other people without these qualities? Think about with your children as parents, or your spouse as an example, other brothers and sisters in the church, let alone extended family and people outside. Uh, We're called, regardless of how other people act or how they treat us or how they think, you and I are called by God and by Paul in this letter to be humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another. This is a challenge. I, by nature, I'm just telling you, Lori will confirm this, I uh, tend not to be the most patient individual in the world. Uh, Humility, uh, I think, okay. Gentle, I think, okay. Uh, Bearing with other people, I think, okay. Patience is a little bit of a challenge for me because I want to get things done. I I, I can see the end and uh, work towards that and things like that. I would ask you to think about which of these four things are you good at, could improve on, all of them, okay, I'll I'll just fill you in on that, that's the right answer for that, Uh, but what are the ones that are most challenging to me? Uh, You know, there's people that we've interacted with that are just, your first impression is like kind of hugging a cactus, they're a little prickly and uh, a little painful to enter a conversation with. Uh, Some people that you've bumped into before, and then after you've gotten to know them, you think, oh, they don't make the best first impression, but they make a great second impression. Some of this, you and I can work through some of our initial feelings and attitudes towards people. If we have this first, and then we have opportunity to get to know the individual, And a lot of times our image of who a person is radically changes because we've taken the time through these qualities to get to know them. Then, he says, make every effort. I think most Christians read this as make an effort, not every effort. Well, I tried. I had a talk. I I gave them a call. And uh, those are good. Those are good initial steps. But when we're at odds with other people, whether it's in our immediate household, in the church, or other people outside the church, there's always another step that can be taken. I've found in recent years that there are more husbands and wives that throw out the divorce word, even in our churches, 
than ever before. And I think that comes out of frustration. There's things that have gone on in the relationship for so long that they've kind of reached a state of hopelessness. Uh, There's a brother that I'm going to be talking to this week that just filed for a disillusionment in his marriage. Uh, And I'm not going to give you any indication of who this is, where they live, or anything. Somebody that Lori and I know, this couple. Uh, And what I'm going to tell them is, brother, there's always another step. Don't do this right now. You're a Christian. Your wife is a Christian. Yes, there's problems on both sides. I've never found a marriage uh, when they've had issues that there haven't been issues on both sides. Uh, And so there's always another step. And I'm going to recommend or encourage him, urge him to spend some time with Lori and me and his wife, another couple that live in that city where they are, and see if we can't help them along the way. Make every effort. Many of us give up on people and give up on relationships way too quickly. Uh, The fact is that all of us in this room, if we were given enough time, I'm going to say something that ticks you off. You might say something that ticks me off. There's going to be a look that's given or not given, an attitude that's given or not given, The way a person hugs, you can kind of tell a lot about that person uh, by a hug. And and we're going to be tempted to start thinking and feeling things about people that may or may not be justified. And there's a way to solve that. We're going to read about that in just a little bit. Now, we get into this next part, which also involves unity. And that is, in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all. One. It's this uh, oneness that God talks about in many, uh, oh, wrong slide, in many different places. Uh, This is also something that you and I as Americans uh, tend to have a problem with. Whenever the word one is, there's one way to look at this, there's one approach, there's one, one, one. We want our options. Uh, I went into the, uh, the pharmacy yesterday to get some nasal spray. I've been a little congested. I don't use it a lot, so if you have a medical background, I know it's not good to use that all the time, just every now and then. Tell Katie that, okay? And uh, I was blown away just with a nasal spray. How many different options there are. And they all claim to be the best. My, my aunt is, uh, for the first time in 42 years, contemplating getting gutters for her house. Which we've been encouraging her to do that for years. Because uh, all that water comes off the roof, settles down, and she can't figure out why the basement smells musty. It's because all the water is just settling down and kind of seeping on in. So she's convinced she's going to get gutters. 
And now she's researching what kind of gutter guards to put over the top of it. The filter ones, the clear ones, uh, all these things. She's sent us four or five YouTube videos so that we can get our opinion on all of this. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, she has too many choices. She, I'm just going to tell her, Aunt Kay, get this one. <laughs> uh, but when we hear one, we don't like it because we want to have choices But the fact of the matter is, there is only one way to be a Christian and only one way to become a Christian. There are not multiple plans of salvation. You don't pick and choose which of these things you will accept as the one, and you don't negate anything that God puts in. And so we read this, and we think about, some of the things that most people don't have a problem with. There's one body. Some people argue with this. Grand Rapids Church, I believe, is part of the one body, but it's not the one body. Like, not everybody has to be a member of this church in order to be in Christ, right? That would be foolish. One spirit, nobody argues with that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, anybody that believes these aspects of God, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, nobody really argues that. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, we don't have problems with that. It's the one hope of having our sins forgiven and being brought into heaven with God and Christ. And then we start reading some stuff. One Lord, one faith, no problem, no problem. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, We don't have time to delve into it in detail today, but it does say there is just one baptism. In the first century, as Christianity was unfolding, there were many different types of baptism, Uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is talked about, Uh, John's baptism, a baptism of fire Jesus talks about, and then as the time moves on, now around uh, the 60s AD, Paul says there's just one baptism. Some of this we can kind of decipher which one is the one. Uh, It's the blueprint from Acts chapter 2 where you're confessing that Jesus is Lord, you're uh, acknowledging your sin and repenting, you're being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, God gives you His Holy Spirit, and also at the same moment adds you to His family, His body. Uh, We read about people in like Acts 18 with Apollos, who knew only the baptism of John, and yet he was baptized in the name of Christ. We read about the disciples in Acts chapter 19 that were following God, but did only, again, knew only the baptism of John. And now they also were baptized into Christ. We read about a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who was devout and God-fearing, prayed regularly, gave sacrificially, maybe even qualities that challenge some of us as Christians, and yet it wasn't until he and his family heard the message that Peter brought to him 
and they were baptized that night that they were saved. This is something that a lot of people struggle with. I was baptized as an infant, sprinkled with water, as I was told. Uh, I don't remember it, but uh, even the Greek words for baptize and sprinkle and pour are completely different words that are not compatible with what we find out in the scriptures about one baptism. And so this unity is not only about relationships, it's also about doctrinal things. I think there's a lot of doctrinal issues that are plain and simple, cut and dried, and then there's other doctrinal things that maybe we don't all have the same gris, gra, grasp, grisp, grasp, <laughs> grip. <laughs> you know, you know, we, we we don't get it all that much, you know, and uh, and so these these things need study and. I think even God gives room for us to view certain things a little bit differently. Book of Revelation, for example, there's probably three or four different ways to view the book of Revelation. I think uh, there is a way to view it that if you don't understand the background of it, it's hard to understand what's being written, Uh, but that's open for interpretation. So... Now let's go to the the next slide here. You guys all right? All right. Verse 7. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascends on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. It talks about the ascended and descended a little bit. Then in verse 11 It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, here it is again, unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature to uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Grace is sometimes referred to as the bestowing of gifts. By grace, God has given all of us certain gifts, talents, abilities, insights that are used to help build up the church. And uh, in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, you can write that down, it talks about how you and I, with the gifts that we've been given, are to administer these things as part of God's grace by the gifts that we've received. And so the gifts that God gives us, in this case he's talking specifically about gifts of leadership, which are no more important or no less important than other gifts people receive. But he's talking about these are not for you to selfishly use for yourself. They are a way of distributing God's grace to members of the church, members of your family, and members of the communities that we live in. Grace is a gift, and sometimes it's referred to as the bestowing of these gifts. Uh, I think I mentioned in a sermon about a month or so, two months ago, I don't know when it was, but this is one of the most unexplored areas of a person's life. Like, what 
what has God really put in me and what does he want me to do with what he's put in me? Then, these gifts are to prepare us to do some work in God's kingdom. There's another word. There's the third word of the day that we don't like to hear, work. Uh, We know we all have to do it. Some of you love your jobs, some of you hate your jobs, but everybody goes to a job because you got to take care of yourself, right? Uh, And the same thing in the church. Oh, I don't like that word work. It means I got to do something to earn my salvation. And if that's your view, you have a very warped view of what work as a Christian is really all about. We By God's grace, are saved. Amen? Amen. By God's grace, He gives us gifts. And by God's grace, He allows us to do some work in the world that we live in. So, I've got a little handout here. Lori's going to pass out. Someone could help her. Who's going to deny helping Lori, right? (laughs) Uman jumps up. Let me uh, take one, dear. A lot of the work that we do, I think, revolves around a couple different areas. I just uh, just picked a couple here to kind of illustrate a point about work in the kingdom of God. Uh, It takes work to help people become Christians, does it not? An effort. Somebody reached out to Lori and me. Somebody followed up with Lori and me. Somebody took us out for dinner. Somebody had us over to their home. Somebody spent gas money on driving to where we were in order to study the Bible with us. Uh, it was pretty cheap back in those days, not so, uh, a, little, a little pricier nowadays. And, and so there's, there's work in helping people become Christians. Not to mention you know, the emotional investment that we all make when we try to help somebody become a Christian. This is not just a, a mechanical process of going through some studies. No, we're, we're building relationships and there's bonds that are being established and there's a little risk involved too because we don't know if they're going to buy into it or not. We don't know if they're going to decide, yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord. The other area of our work and this is a big part of it as well, is for us to work within the fellowship of helping brothers and sisters be strengthened and encouraged and to help them grow. I can't even begin to count the number of people over the last 40 years that have invested time in conversations, love, heart, even rebukes at times, in order for me to grow spiritually. I can't imagine what I would be like, or even if I'd even be in the church still, had I not, from that first time of becoming a Christian, had people help me grow and mature along the way. And so a lot of this work revolves around us helping other people become Christians and us helping Christians mature in Christ. There's a lot that goes into it. Some of us will take the world upon our shoulders and feel like it all depends upon me. And what I want to tell you right now with our work, it does not. 
we have a part, but it really depends on some other factors as well. On the left side of the page, God is the most important part of somebody becoming a Christian and somebody maturing. Without God and His desire, anything you and I do would fall flat on its face. Amen? It's only God. But not only God, because God has given to us some work to do in order to help Him accomplish what He wants to accomplish. And so we got God, we believe that, and we're going to make our effort, but that still is not everything, because everybody as an individual has a responsibility to do some work of their own. Right? A person that we reach out to, they have to decide, okay, I'll make the effort, I'll come to church. I was given an invitation to study the Bible. Well, am I going to do that or not? I, I, I've got to decide whether or not I'm going to do that. As I'm being studied with, I'm going to hear some things that kind of make me mad and some things that make me confused, maybe a few things that are puzzling to me. It's so I've got to wrestle with what it is that God is really trying to say. You know, the parables, Jesus often spoke in parables, and they, in my opinion, were given to people, not only it was a customary form of speech or teaching, but they were given for Jesus to kind of sift through where people's hearts really were. Did they make an effort to understand the parable, or did they just blow it off, and so on and so forth? And so for our work, I'd, I'd like to try to simplify what your responsibility is and what my responsibility is. And all we really have to do, worry about, and not even worry, but just do the part that God has asked you to do, which are uh, 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 scriptures in these uh, highlighted boxes right there. That's your part. God will take care of His part, be aware of it, Non-Christians, other disciples, they've got to do their part, be aware of it, but let's just us focus on the work that we can do and that God has asked us to do. Amen? That came up in chapter 2, and we're going to find out that it comes up again uh, right here in the very end. All right, verse 14. With all these things that we've talked about in the background now, then Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as, here it is again, each part does its work. There are a lot of confusing things in the world of Christendom that get our attention. There were in the first century, 
many things, and then many things in our day and age, I would suggest that you and I uh, can put ourselves in a position where we're exposed to all kinds of bizarre things, bizarre teachings. Look on uh, YouTube. Do a Google search. Any topic about Christianity you want, and you're going to find so many opinions about that topic. Some of them would fall into the category of fine-sounding arguments from Colossians. And a naive person, a person that is not familiar with Scripture, can hear these things and buy it just like a big old bass biting a worm. And all of a sudden you're hooked and uh, you're led to a place that God never intended you to be led to. We go back to what the Scriptures teach. The ones of earlier in Ephesians 4. God uh, doesn't want us, as it says here, tossed back and forth and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. This is no place to live as a Christian. God doesn't want you living there, and you don't want to live there. It's, It's a miserable existence. And so what it requires of us, if we're going to get over the hump, is bring some people involved in our confusion. Open up the Bible. Get out of concordance. Start studying topics and words and anything that will help us become mature and complete as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 5. Then uh, part of our work, as was highlighted on that page, is for us to have a relationship with each other where we can actually say important things. I would like to think that anybody in this room, uh, I would welcome any kind of input, criticism, encouragement, whatever it may be. I would like to think that I'm that kind of person. I think all of us should be that kind of person, that we can entertain conversations, disagreements, discussions, and we remember about being humble and patient and gentle and bearing with each other, and we can work through those kinds of conversations. Uh, It says, uh, last of all, uh, that we grow, the body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, this whole idea of living a life worthy of God. But for right now, that's what we've got, and uh, we'll finish it up next week. Why don't we pray, and then we'll uh, take communion. How's that? Uman, you want to say a prayer for us there, bro, for communion? Yeah, you can come up.